Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Jaya! Hi, Jaya, what's happening? You're not Peter. No, I'm not Peter. Peter's in Australia. Uh, he's been he's been shipped off. I believe he's in Australia anyway. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's yeah. travelled further yeah. since. But um, yes, you've got you've got me instead this week, everybody. I think at the time of recording, he will be desperately making his way back to the UK to take his place on the throne, reclaim his rightful place after the usurper Jaya has stolen it. <laughs> oh, he'll find yeah, out. Yeah, but find a fight on his hands. Thank you for keeping his seat warm while he's gone, and. Yeah, thanks for stepping into the breach. I needed someone to talk to about Arkham. So I thought, who's the person I talk to about Arkham all the time off the cast? It's Jaya. And I thought I'd bring you on the cast. So thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honour to be here. And for listeners who probably don't know who you are, maybe you could tell people briefly, who are you, Jaya? And what are you doing here? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Hello, listeners. My name is Jaya Baldwin. I am a friend of Frank, have been a player of Arkham Horror the Card Game since very, very close to its original release. Um, I think the Dunwich Cycle hadn't quite finished releasing when I started playing. And it is also one of the big reasons that I am a game designer. Uh, I work for a company called Naylor Games, where we we make board games. So yeah, I love playing them. I love making them. Games, games, games. Uh, I'm also sometimes an actor. So if you get any funny voices during this, that, that will explain that bit. That's me. Great, great. I'm looking forward to the other voices already. <laughs> How did we meet, Jaya? That's a very good this question. This is a serious Jaya. question. I was raking my memory, and for the listeners, like essentially, I play Arkham. I used to play by myself, and then for a while, I just was playing with you. And I don't remember... Did you come to a labyrinth I ran or something like that? I think that was it. I think what it was, was I started listening to the podcast. I think I thought, oh, these guys are cool. And there was a part of me that sort of maybe fancied having a crack at making some some Arkham content myself, possibly, um, mm-hmm. which didn't quite pan out in the end. But I did, I believe, either I messaged you or I just maybe came up and talked to you at an event. And... Yeah, I guess we just hit it off. I do remember attempting very badly to record uh, my table at Labyrinths once. The footage was an absolute disaster. I never did anything with it. It was basically grey. But I remember talking outside a pub after a game of Labyrinths and that feeling like yeah. the moment I walked away going, I think me and that guy are going to be friends, you know? Yeah, well, that's the thing. It felt, my memory is it was very frictionless. I don't remember meeting and being like, who's this guy and do I like him? It was like, I met him. Yeah, he's my new playing buddy. Yeah. Like, no. So, yeah. So I don't know how that happened. The magic of Arkham, I guess. We were just, like, both enthusiastic and locked in. But, yeah. Man, I'd love to see that grainy grey footage one day. That would be awesome. I might Maybe there could be somewhere. a series of, like, badly filmed Arkham footage. Yeah. Gosh, that, uh, it, it sort of would put you in the role of an investigator, right? What's going on here? What are they doing? Yeah. Found, found footage Arkham. Whether, whether the horror is looking back at what your deck building skills used to look like. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw um, uh, a listener to the show, friend of the show, Dave, was commentating on Netrunner yesterday. Yes, and I, I thought, meant to wow, be there. That, yeah, I saw, I saw. And I, I thought that's such a... The skill to be able to be aware of what all the card pool is and then be able to name cards when you're seeing sort of a 
maybe a glimpse of a card that's got a shimmery reflection because of the camera position and still be able to say, I'm pretty sure that's whatever card it is, insert card name. Myself and a good friend were watching some of uh, that footage yesterday and that commentation. Um, great job, Dave. And yeah, no, me and, me and my friend were sat there looking as cards hit the table and I was like, I think that's an original art hostile takeover. And my friend's like, mm, no, isn't, isn't that an original, an original art? Um, you know, it's <laughs> just like debating. Yeah. Because that's the thing also in Netrunner now, like any individual card could have three or four different pieces of artwork you have to recognize as mental. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And different designs and different layouts and everything like that. Anyway, this isn't a Netrunner podcast, despite, I can't believe we brought Netrunner in when Peter's not here. He'll be so gutted not to talk about it. This is an Arkham Horror podcast. What we like to do, you and me, Jaya, is chat about cards as they're announced and generally get excited and share our excitement. So what I've decided to do for you, the listener, is bring some of that conversation out of our messenger chat and onto the podcast. So what I thought we'd do in this episode is look at the announced investigators for the upcoming expansion Feast of Hemlock Vale. This is definitely not even a first look. It's like a pre-first look. It's a look zero, prequel look, where we're just going to have a look at what we've seen so far and share our initial reactions to it. And I hope this will be interesting to you, the listener, because you can see maybe where our enthusiasm takes us or what gets us excited. And we said off air, didn't we, Jaya? The plan here is not to provide the definitive takes on, you know, we've we've read everything we can about Hank Sampson and we know how to pilot him. It's more just what's getting us excited or what's piquing our interest. Exactly. Exactly. Does that make sense? What kind of what kind of card might I want to throw in? That sort of thing. Cool. So we are going to talk about all five investigators that we know of. So spoiler warning now, if you want to be going into Feast of Hemlock Vale without knowing anything about it, this isn't an episode for you. Stop listening. And I'd also say we're going to talk about, we know about one of the investigators through a German card fan, and we're going to talk about that as well. So if you're sticking to exclusively English card announcements reveals, you're going to get a little bit of a spoiler there as well, to be warned. And for some reason, I've decided we're going to start with the ones we know the least about and then work towards the ones we know more about. That's as good a, that's as good a reason as any. So that means we start with, I'm going to dive in, we start with Wilson Richards, the handyman. We can only see a bit of him from a card fan, but we can see that he's got threes across the board stat-wise, that he's a drifter, and then I can take a pretty good stab at telling you what his abilities read. Yeah, Um, because we can see half of them. So we can see reduce the res, the first tool, ass, each round by, which I'm going to guess is something like reduce the resource cost of the first tool asset you play each round by one. I would assume one. There's not going to be enough space for something weird like by the amount of damage on you or by the number of cards in your hand. So probably by one. Which is, you know, even if it is by one, that's a good starting point. Next line is you get plus one skill skill tests on two, which I'm pretty sure is you get plus one skill value for skill tests on tool assets or something along those lines. And then Elder Sign is plus zero. And I think this is something along the lines of it, what we can see is Y and then a tool asset in with a tool asset hand with equal printed cost. So this could be something like you may swap a tool asset in your discard pile with a tool asset 
in your hand with equal printed cost or tool asset in yeah it's a kind of a bit of a weird one but there's maybe an ability to swap tools based on ones in your hand and ones in your discard pile yeah discard I think pile it's might... be in your dis... yeah discard pile's a good shout i was my brain had gone to play area but that sounds a bit weak so i think yeah discard pile might might be the one we can see a little Y on the second line, a tool asset in Y, which means it's going to be a tool asset in your... It could be your play area, actually. That's right. It doesn't have to be your discard pile. So, yeah. I mean, swapping swapping play area in hand is pretty cool. Maybe it's that. That's yeah. probably better. Anyway, that's Wilson. First impression... Oh, we can see he has eight health. So I'm going to guess he has either six or seven sanity. That's all I guess. What do you reckon, Jaya? Uh, well, um, let's discuss that six sanity because it's the most important note. Uh, right, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Wilson Richards is, yeah, I'm looking at him and first thing I'm thinking is actually you're giving survivory vibes, you know? The handyman is is the artwork, the way he's looking. I mean, what, what is he holding there? Is that the barrel of a shotgun and he's loading in some, some yeah, shells into it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. I get the sense that also just thinking about the card pool and the kind of tools that I think a guardian would want, I feel like Survivor is the, is the second place you might find them. Um, so that's just mm. his, his vibe is giving me Survivor. And then obviously I think it's become a fairly well-accepted thing amongst the community that we don't like 3-3-3-3 as far as being hyper-efficient and winning the game goes. Yeah, at least at least once you get to sort of uh, hard or stand hard, um, where you use the yeah other tokens. But yeah, no, I think it's fun because specifically for me, Guardian. I like Guardian as a class overall, but there are a lot of Guardians that I don't necessarily love playing when I just feel like they lean into this very specific sort of. You get the big gun, you kill the big enemies. And and that's that. Or you get your big weapon, and then you just hit things, and that's all you have to do for the rest of the rest of the game. And that is totally fun sometimes, mm. especially now with uh, things like custom ammunition and these cars that can really let you kit out your gun with, with all the bits and pieces. But I really like that mm. Wilson mm -hmm. is kind of pushing you towards something different. He's saying you could do the big gun thing with me, but I've only got three fights, so there's not much point doing that with me. You could do that with someone else. I'm going to let you access this whole pool of cards that you've not been playing with much or maybe not as much in the form of tools. And I'm going to give you discounts on them and I'm going to boost my skills on all of them so that you're really encouraged to just like explore that archetype. Um, and I think that's great. I love exploring little, little puddles of cards that haven't necessarily been touched upon as much. Oh, totally as well. Yeah. The more you were talking, the more I was thinking, and this isn't meant as a, a pun, but quite a toolboxy vibe for <laughs> Wilson. Yes. Not meant as a pun. <laughs> because, yeah, like, if you can get plus one to skills on tools, if, you, if you're only running tools that are also weapons, like, say, a Gravedigger shovel, that's great, but then essentially your stat line is 3343. Three, three. But if you were then to also run a tool like, say, a fingerprint kit, that at that point your stat line is 3443, three, because you're also getting plus one for for tests on on intellect and it would encourage you potentially to have a wide suite of tools with different kinds of tests to give you more of those boosts um yeah i think what you said about survivor as well like my head went to we, we don't know his deck building but my head went to oh will he have the same deck building as mandy and tony so pick an off class 
But of course, we've just seen that with Carson. So then where I've gone to is, will he be tools zero to five, guardian zero to three? Yeah. And then maybe some other some other off class? Because we've also just seen tool zero to four in Kaimani. So like it's quite hard to know what, what space he can occupy in terms of deck building because a lot of things have been taken. Uh, so I'm wondering if he's going to be like all the way with tools and then with some kind of guardian colour as well. Completely. Well, something that's really exciting about the game at the moment now, I think, is it's so far into its life cycle that you actually can't really necessarily predict what someone's deck building is going to be. Like, It's no longer necessarily a hard and fast rule that we have to have five investigators that complete a specific kind of archetype of, of deck building. I mean, mm. obviously, we did mm-hmm. have that with Edge of the Earth and we had that in Dunwich, but it doesn't necessarily have to happen. I mean, we've got, for example, Carolyn and Vincent who match each other, but otherwise stand quite alone as very, as very strange. Yeah, great point. But I think Guardian Zero to Three could be a really fun way to do it if you wanted to make it even more obvious as like, if you want to get that big shotgun, I'm not your guy. But if you want to go to town with a big hammer, let's let's do this. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Suddenly pull out a chainsaw and a thieves kit. <laughs> what? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Actually, the combo with flashlight here is really nice as well because there's an action on flashlight, which is dropping the shroud by two but it also boosts his stat by one. Yeah, true. So you get like a three three stat swing just with a flashlight. Which for a Guardian um, is a pretty yeah. big deal, actually. Um, generally, you know, yeah. they are amongst the worst, if not the worst, of uh, getting clues. Um, so to be mm-hmm. able to, mm-hmm. yeah, like I spend two resources and here's my plus threes a few times is, is pretty damn good. Yeah. Maybe the other reason I've gone for the kind of, like he could turn his hand to lots of things is like you said, the stat line. It's very hard to know what his focus should be if you decide, well, I'm just going to do that fighty guardian style. You're sort of, you've got an uphill battle because your stat isn't as good as other guardians in combat, but also you're somewhat neglecting your other stats. So, yeah, maybe there's something there for, to think about of like, he's maybe not primary killer. He's a sort of hybrid. I'll do a few different things. Completely. Maybe. I, I do also think there is actually something to be said for the for the spread stat line. It's I don't think it's the best all the time, but every now and again there does just come a moment where there's an enemy on you and on someone and you're looking through all your options and you just can't really find a clean solution and you just go, mm-hmm. can you evade it? And then someone looks at their card and their dump stat is in evade and it's only got a, is in agility rather. It's only got a one in mm. it. And they're like, no, there's no hope in heck I can do that. Whereas if you're mm-hmm. playing mm-hmm. tank, say, and it's like, okay, my toolkits are mainly set up to be investigating at the moment, uh, but this enemy's landed on me, what do I do? Well, I have a three in evade, so if someone can throw me a uh, unexpected courage or a manual dexterity, maybe I actually can get out of this situation um, and we can move on. Which I think, you know, sometimes yeah. the uneven stat lines don't let you do. Yeah, totally agree, totally agree. It gives you that, you know, three in willpower, three in agility means you're probably pretty robust to the mythos. And as you say, you've got this little panic button. Maybe I can just get away from this thing. If you can take guardian cards, which you'd hope you would be able to, something like daring or take the initiative or even fighting lessons as well, like you get a plus three to your agility at a pinch. Yeah. 
suddenly you're an agility six. That's pretty amazing for a guardian for a single test. Like I know, I know the min maxes out there will just say, "Oh, you should never got her in that place position in the first place if you'd played your cards right." But like you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it happens. Sometimes you do end up in that situation. Absolutely, it's good to absolutely. Have this yeah, particularly if you play solo, you, you can't rely on on anyone else to save you. So there might just be times where you're like, I think the thing I need to do is just an evade and move on, or a, I just need to pass this intellect three test to clear out of this area. Completely. Anyhow, speaking of min-maxing, <laughs> let's move on to Alessandra Zorzi, yes. the countess. I don't know why I said min-max. She's not that min-maxed. Her stat is really just a couple of points different. She's min-maxed her fashion sense. Look at that. <laughs> she knows what it's pink about. Pink jacket, pink hat. Yeah. You're, you mentioned the hat off-air as well. You're here for the hat, aren't you? I did. I mentioned the hat off-air, and once I'd done that, I was like, right, whenever she comes up, I'm finding a way to fit this hat in. Um, it yeah. matches her flowers, look. She knows, how to, she knows how to decorate a home. She looks great. She's got a good coy look on her face as well. So she is new to the Arkham Files as a playable character. She's been in at least one of the Aconite no- novels, maybe two now. And yeah, her stat line is... Three, four, two, four. She's drifter and socialite traded. You may take an additional action during your turn, which can only be used to parlay. Elder sign effect plus two. If you succeed, choose a non-elite enemy at your location or at a revealed connecting location. Automatically evade that enemy. Flavor, I love a good party. Seven health, seven sanity. I really like Jamaica of Zorzi. Yeah. I'm, I'm keen for a lot of reasons. So firstly, let's let's go with vibe first again. Vibe wise, she's winning. Um, because yeah, when I first started playing this game back around uh yeah, sort of corset dunwich time, slightly less these days. These days maybe it is slightly more game than story to me, though the story is still a, a big part of it and why I enjoy it. But this mm-hmm. sort of almost pulls me back to I remember first uh getting Jim and Jenny out and going into House Always Wins. And just loving mm. everything about it. It was like, oh, you know, I'll be the jazz musician on the stage and you'll have to like come in through the door, you know, pretending that you're here to gamble. And the little stories we told and kind of just little little elements of characters that just appeal because you're like, oh, yeah, I'm so used to just getting to play knights and wizards in games. But now I get to play, you know, a magical jazz player. And yeah, she's giving me <laughs> indeed that same kind of, here's someone fun and unusual to play as, a sort of party socialite, fast talker, um, in a game about monsters and magic is is very fun. Um, so yeah, yeah, I really like that. And also, again, going back to loving card pools being re-explored, Parlay is one that's been in the game since the very beginning. Um, but I'm sure many people like me will have gone, oh, okay, there's this thing called Parlay that apparently doesn't trigger an attack of opportunity, but I don't really know what that is or, or where it comes up. It almost becomes more important, doesn't it? Because it's one of those four actions that don't trigger a tax opportunity. It's kind of, you. I remember learning about it being like, wow, parlay, it's a big deal. And then being like, oh, actually it's not. It's like a, an action that never comes up. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, really cool for it to be breathed a little bit of life. Yeah. And I mean, funnily enough, offcast, not, not for listeners to be like, oh, me and Frank are having so much fun off air without you but um we mentioned (laughs) riot whistle and frank and peter's famous 15 minute riot whistle chat and how i think this 
I think Alessandra could fill a very similar role in the way that engage was a word that we've seen throughout the game, but never necessarily felt that important. And suddenly it's like, well, let's explore it more. And I think, yeah, she's doing the exact same thing with Parlay. And I'm mm. so excited to see where that goes. I mean, again, when Fine Clothes came out, I was obsessed. I tried to jam Fine Clothes into every deck, even though I knew it wasn't mm. going to be much good. Just because in the few situations it was good, it felt so cool of like, oh, you know, classic is the last king. I've turned up in my tuxedo or my my best dress. And here I am, you know, smooth talking all these all these up and coming people. Yeah. What's one better than stuffing your deck with parlay cards? It's being an investigator where those cards don't even take an action. I mean, you get an extra action just to play them, which seems wonderful. I'm going to assume that her deck building has something along the lines of cards with parlay actions on them. Maybe she's, you know, rogue zero to five and then what would be quite an odd off class because there's no trait that is specifically parlay, but I'm assuming she'd have access to to cards like that. And I, ahead of this episode, looked up some of the parlay cards. There aren't a lot out there at the moment. So interrogate and persuasion have both just been tabooed to make them a bit more generous in what they do. Interrogate lets you uh, pick an enemy and get clues, and Persuasion lets you pick an enemy and either shuffle it away or auto-evade it. And then more recently, we've seen Motivational Speech, which is parlay and play an ally at minus three cost. So, I mean, that seems amazing for her if she can be, if Zorzi can be getting an extra action to play an ally at minus three cost. Yeah, Which as a level zero great. card, yeah. who who wouldn't want that? Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> There's also Existential Riddle, which is a parlay difficulty eight, but uh, gets minus one difficulty for each card in your hand, and it auto-evades an enemy and makes them aloof. And then there's a couple of Mystic cards. Power Word has a parlay on it, and String of Curses is also a parlay. So a really weird mixture there. Yeah, it could be really interesting to see how you make those things fit together and and what you do with them. Well, yeah. So I've actually already run a decent amount of um, interrogate. It's not a fantastic okay. cast. I'm I'm not going to pretend it's not. But you know, I really enjoyed the idea of sort of creating this kind of hard boiled Roland. Uh, not sure if you've heard of him. Police decks uh, where you I had to do it. Sorry, uh, where you get some handcuffs. And, you know, you handcuff a cultist and then you drag them around with you the whole time. And, yeah, it's just, I quite like the idea, again, I guess thematically, of just turning around and you're going, right, you, I can't find this myself, so tell me, where, where is it hidden? Where, where are we going? Mm, yeah. And, yeah, ultimately, it's, it's not, because you can't combat boost it with weapons and, and so on and so forth, and you have to find the humanoid, which not all scenarios have. It, it gets a bit tricky. Um, so I'm really glad of that to do, actually. Um, and I've never played Persuasion, personally. It's It seemed even more niche than Interrogate to me. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think they're worth probably breathing a bit of life into. People group Persuasion and Interrogate together, but they do quite different things, I would say. What I would do want to shout out as well is you've mentioned Fine Clothes as kind of part of your parlay enabling set. The other card that I've been playing a lot of is Dirty Fighting which is new Scarlet Keys, newish Scarlet Keys card. The reason I'm shouting this out is it's a 2XP card. 
And it says, while attacking, parlaying, or attempting to evade an exhausted enemy, you get plus two skill. And after you evade an enemy, exhaust dirty fighting, take a fight action against that enemy. Ignore the aloof keyword for this attack. I've been playing a lot of dirty fighting in Kaimani. I think dirty fighting is a really good card for lots of rogues who can evade. But it's worth noting that it does have that while parlaying an exhausted enemy, you get plus two skill. So potentially there's a Zorzi dirty fighting style out there where she evades an enemy and then is interrogating them or persuading them at plus two, maybe at minus two difficulty if she's in fine clothes as well, which I just think is, I'm not quite sure how the theme of that works. She's like sneaking past them and then telling them to F off, but it seems cool anyway. Totally. So, so I think I think what I love about this, so yeah, I searched Parlay into Arkham DB and this popped up. I was like, oh, hi. Another reason I love Parlay is because it's just like, oh, I didn't even realize it popped up on this thing because you read Dirty Fighting and you're just thinking, attack. I'm attacking them, right? Yeah. But I love parlaying on that. I think in my mind, the, the theme behind that one is the enemy's exhausted because you've, you've already talked them out. And now you're sort of just getting them to agree to things that aren't really fair. It's like, oh, come on, you know, I'm exhausted. It's not, it's not fair to talk to <laughs> to keep trapping me in these, in these language traps. Yeah. So it's a totally yeah. different take of the, of the man on the card, just punching someone. But yeah, I think there'll be something really interesting to do with dirty fighting there. I think so too. Yeah. So we have seen as well, one of the cards that was announced in the big announcement article is also a parlay. So this is Stall for Time. It's a Survivor card. And I'm going to call it out because I think there's something interesting going on here. So it's a one-cost event, parlay. Choose an enemy at your location. Test Willpower X, where X is the chosen enemy's fight or evade value, whichever is lower. If you succeed, exhaust the chosen enemy, but do not disengage from it. If it's non-elite, it does not ready during the next upkeep phase. If you fail, return Stall for Time to your hand. So the reason I wanted to mention this is obviously the the willpower could be a bit of a challenge for Alessandra, but not if she's wearing fine clothes. But the idea of exhausting an enemy but keeping them engaged with you seems counterintuitive to what we've learned to do historically in Arkham. Why would you keep an enemy on you? But in fact, of course, if you then want to do other parlays with it, like interrogate it, you might want to move around and move it to the right position. So having an enemy actually on you that's not going to ready at the end of the turn and you can, you know, basically ignore it for a turn but reposition as you see fit seems really nice yeah the other thing i think is really cool about this is this return to hand ability if you fail and i wonder if we're going to see a suite of cards in survivor that that's their ability is they're maybe not that potent in effect but they have this extra cushion of if you fail you get them back yeah i think you've touched upon a few really good things there Firstly, in that I think it actually comes up a little more often than you'd expect. That sometimes uh, the enemy dropping off you when you evade can actually be surprisingly annoying. Um, and sometimes mm. you find yourself wanting to re-engage it or wishing it didn't or, or whatever it might be. Mm. Yes, I think the return to hand clause there is really nice because I think a lot of survivor cards especially actually suffer from this to an extent. Uh, there's one that we, you talked about in your Dunwich Relooks. Uh, it's, uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's got a big pink squid being pushed by a chair on it. And it's an evade card, I think, that moves the enemy. Bait and switch. Bait and switch, thank you. And it's yeah. the kind of You card... had me at big pink squid. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the kind of card that is exactly what you described, where you see it in your, in your collection, and you're like, oh, this card, I remember this card. And you read it, and you go, oh, 
that sounds like it could be kind of acceptable. And it just never finds the deck slot, which is a shame because I believe that all cards, even the ones that aren't, uh, even the ones that are a bit wonky about around the edges, deserve some love. And I think this return to hand clause is a really nice way to uh, power up or find space for slightly niche effects that if you played mm. it and it failed, you'd just feel a bit sad about. Um, so yeah, here, here's this really nice card where it's like, this will be useful. Like you can keep trying this and you will eventually mm -hmm. succeed. Mm -hmm. Might cost you a few more resources than you'd hoped, but you're not going to lose a resource and a card and not get anything out of it. And I think that's really nice. And in Alessandro, you might not even lose an action because you'd be using your additional action to play it. And if it goes wrong, it's like, okay, I'm not actually down on the turn. Not, I'm not saying that's a way to play, <laughs> to fail your additional action each turn. But at least you're just like, okay, the, the actual cost here is pretty minimal. Yeah, I, actually, I think what you touched on there is fun, is this card, if, if she's got an extra action each turn, and if she's failing it, but while this card's in her hand, she's sort of like a fin temporarily, right? This is, a, this is an evade, mm -hmm. and she's got that as her bonus action. But then actually when you've got Interrogate in your hand or, or Existential Riddle, maybe there's something here in the sense that the Parlay cards in your hand will kind of almost allow you to shapeshift slightly into other investigators' extra action yeah. abilities based on what events you have in hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's an ability where unless they add a specific Parlay that you can do kind of repeatedly, you know, an, a, an asset with a Parlay, say, you're always going to be constricted by what events there are or what encounter cards there are with Parlay. So I'm not assuming that Alessandra's going to take an action a turn, that an extra action every turn. But yeah, having a suite of cards that give her choices for what that extra action could be maybe every other turn, say, I think could be decent. Mm -hmm. yeah. Unless they, you know, unless they bring out a card that's a rogue card, you know, Parlay add resources to this card or Parlay remove them and a way of kind of making money just by chatting to people. Yeah, you can easily imagine some sort of rogue theme talking people out of their money card. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. I, I think the, yeah. la the last thing maybe I'll say, um, if we need to move on on Alessandra, is also just unlike some investigators who very much care about investigator cards and investigator card traits, you will just sometimes be playing Alessandra and there's that moment in a scenario, an innocuous one, not a parlay-based one, but someone pops up and it's a brief moment where they need parlaying two or three times and suddenly she'll sort of step forward and say, it's my time. Mm -hmm. And that's just, I think, quite nice where the scenario might surprise you with a little a little thing where you're like, oh, great. That's, I'm good at that. When I search for parlay by encounter card, I see that ArkhamDB gives me 148 hits. Wow. So it's more common than we think it is. Yeah. Which is, yeah, is. pretty wild. You know, because, yeah, there's lots of locations that might have a parlay ability. You mentioned Last King. Jazz Mulligan has a parlay ability. It's it's there. It's around. Potentially, it comes in, comes in handy more often than people realise. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. So next we have Kohaku Narukami, who's the folklorist. Now, Kohaki, Kohaku, you can only barely see in the card fan. You can just see the stat line of 4431. However, in the German card fan, we got to see all of Kohaku and it's been translated. So if you don't want to hear about Kohaku, skip this bit if you're still listening. But otherwise, I'm going to read you this translation. So Kohaku's traits are scholar, blessed, cursed. 
he or they have a reaction ability at the start of your turn, either add one bless or one curse token to the chaos bag, whichever is fewer in the bag you choose in case of ties, or remove two bless and two curse to take an extra action this turn. Elder sign, add a bless and a curse to the chaos bag and it's plus two. Flavor, why don't we face the unknown with curiosity instead of fear? Six health and eight sanity. Lovely. Do you want me to go first again? Take it away. Okay. So I've started a strange vibe-based theme, so I'll keep it going. Kohaku (laughs) is is great vibes. Uh, Firstly, that quote's fantastic. Why don't we face the unknown with curiosity instead of fear is, I think, a mantra that as human beings we could do with a lot more of. Be, Be curious, not judgmental. And it's lovely to see Bless and Curse coming back. Um, I love the name as well. Uh, it reminds me of Kohaku is uh, the name of the river um, in the movie Spirited Away. And that, that movie was a big childhood favorite of mine. Um, I believe it means amber. So it's nice to see that. Um, and then okay. I think Narukami, uh, there was a card game I used to play called Card Fight Vanguard a long time ago. I wouldn't recommend it these days, but um, there was a faction named after that. And I think that translates as, as lightning god or some such. Anyway, yeah, I like his outfit, the waistcoat, the bow tie. Um, he's, he's looking very fancy. Um, and as always, I love just seeing international elements. Same with Alessandra. Just seeing all kinds of different mm. characters from all over the world brought into the game. Netrunner's doing the same. It's, it's just fantastic. So, yeah. Let's narrow this down a bit to, to something to do with the game. Lesson curse. Well, is... before we do, before we do, I, I would agree as well. And one of the things that always attracted me to Arkham Files is the idea that you could play as characters that aren't necessarily your stereotypical hero types. So the idea, you know, one of my very first times playing Eldritch Horror, I was playing as Norman, who's the astronomer. And the idea that I'd be playing this ostensibly, you know, action combat game, but I'm an astronomer, I adored. I really like the idea that you could be a folklorist and that that's a way that you could interact with the game. And it might turn out that he's great at fighting and great at doing things that mystics do, but just the idea that you'd be a folklorist rather than, say, uh, I don't know, the the spell-slinging mage is really cool. Yeah, completely. I think Norman's a good pick as well, actually, because people often malign the art he got in Edge of the Earth versus the Eye of the Void release. But I think, actually, Mm -hmm. if you ever wanted to sell, I'm just a hapless old professor. That art art does (laughs) it so fantastically. Yeah. Look at my grey beard. Yeah. You were about to mention Bless and Curse, I think. I'm really glad you did. Welcome back, Bless and Curse. This somewhat reveals that Feast of Hemlock Vale is returning to Bless and Curse, which we last saw in Innsmouth. What do you make of this Bless and Curse ability? Yes. So I think it encapsulates all the weirdnesses of Bless and Curse perfectly in that it sounds a bit fiddly in terms of the physical pieces you're having to move around to make it happen. It's making the game a bit more random, but doesn't it just sound quite fun, you know? Um, And I think, but but to actually bring it down more to, to game terms, I think being able to choose between adding a Bless or adding a Curse is definitely interesting because it means you can now kind of decide. So obviously for the sake of the ability, I suppose if you really wanted to boil it down, his his ability says you get plus 0.25 actions a turn around, which is, you know, not not fantastic mm-hmm. in isolation. But then yeah, yeah, let's say we start to look at cards like um is it Twist of Fate? 
it's cost zero neutral event. You draw a card and add three blessings and curse to the to the tempt to the, fate. Tempt fate. Tempt fate. fate. Thank you. Yeah, and that card's amazing here. Fast draw a card, gain an extra action for no resources. An action and a half. An action and a half. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That so that's nice. I went straight to my favourite bless curse card, which is right of equilibrium, which incredibly has been tabooed to be less XP. And Rite of Equilibrium, people have heard me playing this card on Think On Your Feet. It's a zero-cost mystic event. It's now 3 XP to buy, but it's a level 5 card. And it has an ability add X Curse to the Chaos Bag to add X Bless to the Chaos Bag. So yes, I will be adding 10 of each. And then taking (laughs) 5 turns of 4 action turns as I remove them all. Which will be great. Yeah, I don't always get to listen to Think on Your Feet, so I didn't. I never knew you were a big right of equilibrium stan. I love that. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> yeah. a huge. I'm a huge fan of that card. And when I saw it get an XP discount as well, I was like, oh, fantastic! I love this. Yeah, because it's just fun. It's that it's fun. you were describing the fiddliness. You're like, what's less? How can I make Blessing Curse less fiddly? I know. I'll just put all of them in the bag right now, yeah. and then I don't need to worry about keeping track in, in some in some campaigns and scenarios you're literally more than doubling the quantity of tokens in that bag it's fantastic yeah yeah <laughs> your bag is sort of splitting at the seams <laughs> so full of tokens yeah it's, on a serious point i think your your analysis is spot on you've got this slow build up where every fifth turn in theory you could take an extra action because for four turns you're going to add 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 but we've seen lots of ways of adding Bless and Curse. Obviously, go back to Innsmouth, look at all of those Bless and Curse cards again. The thing we learnt from Innsmouth as well is you can't necessarily control when all the tokens come out. And that could be even more awkward for Kahaku because to take an extra action, it's removed two Bless and two Curse. So playing something like Keep Faith and adding four Bless... It doesn't matter if you add 10 bless. If you've got no curse in the bag, you just can't be taking extra actions. So yeah, Kohaku is really, you know, a lot of people, I think, when they tried out bless and curse, chose one and said, right, we'll do a bless build and both of us will add bless or we'll do a curse build. What can we do with it? Whereas for Kohaku, it's no, 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 everyone. We're all in. Put everything in, please. Which, yeah, solo sounds particularly challenging, but I think in multiplayer, there's going to be a really fascinating mix up there of, Kahaku would want everyone to add everything, but everyone else might not want that. Completely. And, I mean, his deck building will, will inform a lot, obviously. Uh, he might have yes. been cursed level 0 to 5. Parallel Wendy does also have that, although I think Parallel Wendy is probably sort of in inverted commas non-canon as far as, as their design thesis goes. I'm not sure. I couldn't possibly comment. Mm-hmm. But... Um, mm-hmm. If he does end up with all of that, then what I do like is that his stat line, having 4-4-3, is really nice because maybe he could run, say, Holy Spear if he wanted to. Or he could run some of the... Actually, I'm not sure if there is any intellect-based curse cards off the top of my head. But um, yeah, with a with a 4-4-3 stat line, he's not necessarily just pigeonholed into, say, taking Armageddon, Eye of Chaos, and, and just doing that, which he could do and would be perfectly fine and fun, mm-hmm. I'm sure, while you add some Bless flavour in. But I like that. I like Mystics with flexible stat lines. I just think it's nice to be able to mm. do something else if you'd like. Yeah. The other sleeper thing here, of course, is that because he has an innate way of removing tokens from the bag, playing those specifically Seeker and Rogue cards that add curses for an effect 
he has an extra way of mitigating the, the downside of it. So, you know, you play Faustian Bargain, get five resources. As long as you can get two blessings to the bag, the downside of Faustian Bargain is you get an extra action as well, which seems amazing. And similarly, like stirring up trouble to get a couple of clues, you add curse tokens to the curse bag to your location's shroud value. It's, it's very much uh, there isn't a downside as long as you can spend those curses again for the actions. It might be it'd be fascinating to see if he actually doesn't want to run things that are kind of curse payoff cards because his payoff is spending curses for extra actions. So you might find he doesn't want Eye of Chaos because he doesn't want to reveal chaos token, uh, curse tokens because he, he, he wants them in the bag, maybe. I'd have to think a bit more about it. That, that's a really good point. That yeah no he he wouldn't necessarily want the, the curse spells because he's he's trying to trying to use them. Mm. Mm. So yeah, that's Kohaku. Yeah, fascinating person. The other thing that I've now started thinking about is like what bless and curse cards could we now see? Because of course there could be all sorts of things. This isn't the place for that hypothesizing, but really interesting to see what was definitely a quite coherent set of cards in Innsmouth now being revisited and it'll be really interesting to see yeah do all of the classes get more bless and curse cards in in feast of hemlock vale do only some of them get some is it a relatively small amount i mean you know the new release model suggests that this needs to be as as standalone a product as it can be so i would assume that we're going to see some for every class but It'll be interesting. Yeah, well, we haven't seen any Mystic cards revealed for this set yet, have we? Besides the name of one in German. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it could well be yeah. their big deal this, this year. Yeah, could well be, yeah. Right, and this leads us on to the two investigators that we know a bit more about. So where do you want to go now? Do you fancy Kate or Hank? Mm, I think I feel more like going Kate first. I want to end on a high with Hank, so I'm going to go Kate first. Okay, so Kate Winthrop is the scientist. If you had money on Kate being in this expansion, given the number of science cards we saw in the Scarlet Geese, you have been correct. She's a 2424, and Miskatonic and Scholar traded. You begin the game with Flux Stabilizer, inactive side face up. Free trigger, move a clue from Kate Winthrop to a science or tool asset you control with no clues on it. Forced, when an asset you control with a clue on it leaves play, place its clue on your location. That's essentially just making sure that clues don't get removed from the game and you get locked out of progressing. Elder Sign Effect plus zero, you may move one clue from an asset you control back to Kate Winthrop. Six health, eight sanity. Um, We should talk about Flux Stabilizer before we go any further. Yes. So the Flux Stabilizer inactive side says that when you put a clue on it, because it is tool and science traded, you search for one copy of Etheric Current and put it into your deck and you flip Flux Stabilizer over. When Flux Stabilizer is flipped over, it has a reaction ability. When you place a clue on an asset you control, get plus two skill value for your next skill test this phase. So suddenly her placing clues on cards ability becomes get plus two when you do it. And remembering you need to place it on an asset that doesn't have clues. So I'm assuming she wants a suite of tool and science assets. And the etheric current, there's two versions, Yagoth and Yoth. There's a lot of text here. Again, I'm not going to read them in all detail, but they essentially give you a way of fighting or evading using intellect instead of the normal stat. 
it gets you to flip Flux Stabilizer back, draw a card, and you get all of your clues back as well. So it's a way of resetting. Before we go further, one thing to note is that Duke has suggested as a ruling, and it might have been overturned now, that you can spend clues on Kate's assets to advance. So my initial reading of Kate was once you take clues out of your clue pool and put them on your assets, you're going to need to play Etheric Current to get them back before you can spend clues to advance the act. But Duke has suggested that that's not the case, which is super generous. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, a lot of information I've just fired at you there. My take is it's a kind of mini-game. Play a lot of science and tool assets, start throwing your clues onto them to boost you, probably boosting you investigating to get more clues. And this is the dance you do. It's a little bit like Daryl with evidence, but it's Kate with clues slash science tool assets. Jaya, what do you make of it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think think that's a really good initial take. It's a mini-game for sure. And, and Daryl's not a terrible comparison. I think overall, I'm a little cooler on Kate than some of the other characters. I'll go into a bit of detail in a minute. But I think it's great fun to have a scientist character in the game. I'm not always as huge a fan of the sort of weird science aspects of the game. They're always a bit controversial. It's been discussed a lot. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, sometimes I think they really work. Sometimes it's, it's not so hot for me. I think the first time we saw Kate Winthrop was on uh, Strange Solution if yeah. I'm not mistaken, and that card yeah. obviously enchanted everyone. So in some ways, her face is, is quite an important face in the game for being the first person on a, on a research card. But yeah, no, I think, I think in that sense, artistically, thematically, I'm into it, and I really like what they're establishing as a theme uh, amongst the science card designs of this sort of succeed by X, but it's all over the place uh, with, with different, mm, different yeah. power-ups. Yeah, succeed by exactly X, yeah. What I find maybe, at least on the surface, strikes me as a bit strange, although maybe you'll disagree with me, um, or someone can change my mind here, is that I don't necessarily feel like her minigame and her abilities necessarily connect that fantastically with what the science cards are or what they're doing. So she's sort of encouraged to play science and tool assets because that's what she Mm. needs to put her clues on but I don't necessarily see how running the science and tool assets are feeding back into her kind of playing the game in a, in a particular way, so much as it's just, you know, those are the ones she needed to, to put her clues on. Admittedly, the Flux mm. Stabilizer does give you that plus two skill value, and being able to control your skill value to an extent is, a, is an important part of the science card designs. But yeah, I suppose first take, she's I'm not as excited to play her maybe because... Like you said, it's a lot of text. It's a lot of text. It's a little fiddly. But I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be too negative here because that's that's no fun. You know, my, my guess would be once you start playing her, uh, not you, I mean, one in general, I feel like she's one of those investigators that's hard to think about in theory. And maybe in practice, you kind of settle into a rhythm with her. Yeah. A bit like Daryl was with evidence, where you're like, oh, okay, I could do a minus two difficulty here, or should I do this? And like, once you're actually playing Daryl and get into the flow, it's like, I know what are the key tests I'm going to hit with with the difficulty reduction, and the rest of the time I'm just accumulating. I think the appeal for Kate is like, oh, I'm going to have six assets out that are all tool and science, and I'm going to put clue on each, and I'm going to get all of these boosts, and then I think it'll actually probably boil down to maybe three at most that you do 
yeah. yeah. No, I, I take your point though. And I think as well, like my understanding is clues are, they're somewhat vague what they are in the game, but their knowledge, their how to advance, their, you know, collected information. And it's almost like she then invests that in further research rather than advancing the act with some sort of payoff. You know, she gets better at what she's doing. She puts a bit of time into her chemistry set, which means she can then pass a test, which is, I guess I can just about see the thematic link of like, you've spent time studying and now you're better at doing things. Yes. Which is definitely better than higher ed, I'm just spending money. Now that you said it like that, I'm beginning to piece this together in my mind where, yes, you're sort of, you're all investigating being like, come on, we need to find the traces of this monster. We need to track them down. And she's going, yes, we do, but I'm just going to run a little test on it first over here. <laughs> yeah, you know, the sort yeah of the, exactly. The classic getting a bit too fascinated with it character. Mm-hmm. Which actually then would, to be honest, fit then quite well almost ludonarratively with the fact that on the surface her things from the external viewpoint seem a bit fiddly and a bit finicky maybe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I think you're Imagine right. you're trapped in your study in The Gathering and everyone's like, where's the way out? And she's looking into her microscope like... Now, with some of the information we've gathered so far, yes, that's right. I think I can find more of a way out if I just think a bit more. And yeah, I can see how it might become a bit what Peter would call underpants gnomes, where you're (laughs) spending a lot of time investing in doing a thing that doesn't actually help that much and getting the balance right. And to be honest with you, this is good for Seeker. If Seeker are all pure, we're going to progress, keep up, everyone else falls behind. But if Seeker are a bit more like, no, 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 I'm very focused on this game I'm doing, and everyone else is like, oh, for goodness sake, get your head out of the laboratory and help with the investigation, it brings Seeker back around to a bit more of a balanced place. Absolutely. Uh, the Seeker problem is a, is a well-known one, and um, I'm completely with you. And, and I know I've been a bit down, but to, to come from another angle, no. actually, etheric current, both Yogoth and Yoth are absolutely, are absolutely sick. Like, they're such cool yeah. tech cards. They draw you a card, so they replace themselves. They're free. They're letting you use your intellect instead, and you're doing a really cool combat trick in either evading yeah. an enemy or shuffling it back into the deck. Uh, no, you're not just evading it. You're moving it to any location, which is... Yeah. Uh, there's a two-cost mystic event of someone burning on a pentagram that everyone says is rubbish, but I love that lets you teleport an enemy anywhere on the map. Banish. Banish, thank you. Uh, you'll have figured it out <laughs> by now. This, this test, test. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do names, but I can do art. I'm really glad you mentioned the etheric currents, because the, my final point on Kate would be, I find them quite exciting for soloing this character. She already has four agility, which I love for soloing, so she's got that evasion protection. But being able to draw a lot as a seeker and also then have these couple of options that you can maybe, okay, I'm in a scenario where there's a nasty hunter that's chasing me. I'm going to put Yargoth into my deck. And when I have it, I'm going to blast that hunter all the way to the other side of the map. Or, okay, there's an enemy with Doom on it. I'm going to put Yoth on it, evade that enemy and shuffle them into the deck so there's no more Doom. And you can just be a really cunning i guess about what you use it's not a sort of a go-to it's not like having a weapon in play from the start but it's just a nice extra option for her that she has that baked into her as a sort of ability which i think is cool absolutely and yeah again with the seeker you know you're sort of at first you're going 
Kate, come on. And she's like, no, the situation is fascinating. Um, and you're like, Kate, come on, please help. <laughs> and then suddenly when the big monster's there and you're scared, Kate steps in from the back to the front, opens her, opens her little um, flux stabilizer and that beam comes out and hits whatever it is. And you're like, <laughs> okay, thank you, Kate. Sorry, Kate. <laughs> and she disappears the enemy to another world. There's a lovely other thing to acknowledge as well, which is that her weakness we've seen, it's failed experiment. It's a blunder. And it says, Revelation test willpower three. This test gets plus one difficulty for each asset you control with a clue on it. And for each point you fail by, you must either take a horror or place one of your clues on your location. Flavor, I've made a huge mistake. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're doing the Kate thing and you've made that amazing, I've got five or six tool assets out and and tool and science assets, they all have clues on them. This is a difficulty seven, eight test. And if you fail it, you're um, taking seven or eight horror or dropping a load of clues. And of course, if you don't have any clues to drop because you've put them all on your science and tool assets, you're just taking a massive amount of horror. Yeah, it could get Kind really of like awesome. that your weakness might be able to kill you. Just a one-off kill. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> well, and, and of course, with, with one-off kill weaknesses now, they've changed, I believe, in the FAQ. They've changed the rules mm-hmm. so that now you can't say, I choose to take eight horror but now I'll play this card that cancels all the horror, so I'm fine. It's now every single one yes. of those is an individual instance that you're choosing, which makes yeah. it even even meaner. Yeah, I've been trying to follow that change, the for each for every change. I don't feel confident that I've got my head around it, but that's my understanding as well. I'm sure people can write in and explain whether I've got that right or wrong. But yeah, essentially, you can't deny eight horror in one go if it's for each point you fail by you're making a choice. Even if you could, ahead of time, say, "Well, I'll choose the following." Now, see, this is this is why talking about cards are great. So I come in here, call on Kate, and now I'm leaving, being like, "Oh, I'm loving all the story here." And I'm, <laughs> I'm really playing Kate. Play <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've seen more. We're not going through all of the secret cards. We've seen it revealed, but there's obviously part of the balance will be about making sure that those tools and science assets are actually useful as well. Because if you're only getting them to put clues on them, that's not that good. So there'll be something there around, well, what kind of tools and and science assets do I want to run? Yeah. And finally, we have Hank Sampson, the farmhand. 3153, assistant and warden. You may be assigned damage, horror, dealt to ally assets or other investigators at your location. Reaction. When you would be defeated by damage and or horror, instead heal all of your damage and horror and swap this card with its bonded resolute version either side face up. Five health, five sanity, an absolutely adorable Elder Sign effect. Elder Sign effect, plus one. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Nothing else. Just a little puny plus one. Mm. We finally got Hank. People have been predicting that he would be a one intellect survivor for a long time. And here he is, one intellect survivor. Beefy five combat survivor which is a think first for survivor i want to say i think so yeah and got the kind of brother xavier girish kadakia you can get hit by damage and horror to anyone sort of aoe soak ability but on an investigator yeah which is powerful because it's often it's often not everyone's gonna die uh, at the same time, it's often just one person very unfortunately got hit by the horror train a bit too hard, a bit too early. 
by bad luck mm-hmm. and, and Hank can save you from that, which is great. How many times have you been in an event where someone with an uneven vitality pool has been hit on the bit that's their weak point a couple of times by treacheries early and then it's really tense. You've got a long scenario to play through and someone's on, you know, three of six damage and like, I can't take another one of those. And basically having Hank from the start of the game being like, that's okay, I will take any further damage that you take as long as we stay together. It's really nice. Absolutely. And... Yeah, I mean, survivors Survivors with fivers are, are dangerous. Um, you know, we've all seen how powerful Daryl is. And now here we have a survivor mm-hmm. coming in with a five in combat. Um, and I feel like, and, and Rita, Rita's got a five. Rita's not as popular, though. I think these days people are actually finding ways to, to make her pretty powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always feel mm-hmm. like when you give a survivor yeah. a really strong stat, they find a way to do some, some crazy things with it. Yeah, you've already got the rewarding low stats in Survivor. With your, you know, your lock found your luckies that already feed into. You can probably get clues if you really needed to with a one stat, but then you add to that a super powerful stat. It's, it's nice. Yeah, and and as you say, yeah, I mean, one one intellect in survivor. How many times have people sat there hoping to fail the test for their look what I found? <laughs> um, it's perfect. Yeah. Now, you, yeah. now you can be sure of it. Yeah, but there's more yeah. to Hank than than meets the eye, is there not, Frank? There is, yeah. So we've got this bonded resolute version, which has two sides. So when you're defeated, you have to heal up fully and then grab this bonded resolute version and pick a side. Hank is assistant warden traded, and the two resolute versions are the assistant or the warden. So I will read them both quickly. The assistant, his stat line changes. From 3153 to 3344, it reads, you cannot be healed. There's the same rule about you may be assigned damage or horror dealt to ally assets or other investigators at your location. And then there's a reaction ability. When one or more horror is placed on you, draw a card. Elder sign effect plus one. Move one horror from Hank Sampson to an asset you control. And his stats now are, his vitality stats are four, six. And shall I just blast on and read... The other side as well. Yeah, I think let's do that. So here his stat line, the warden stat line, is 4163. So he's basically gained a point in willpower and combat. He cannot be healed again. There's the same assigning damage horror ability. The reaction ability here is when one or more damage is placed on you, gain two resources. And Elder Sign effect is the same, but it's moving damage rather than moving horror. And the vitality stats are switched. His health is now six and his horror is four. Phew. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you you know that when turning into a werewolf would make you weaker, not stronger. <laughs> but um, mm. you've got a pretty powerful person on your hands. Yeah, a printed yeah. six on an investigator card is—it's got power to it. Just looking at it, it's like, wow, that's a six. My goodness, that's a first as well, isn't it? It is our first six stata, and that's what fourteen stat points rather than the usual twelve. <laughs> Yeah, you've you've jumped straight on both past sides. The mark on both you. sides, yeah, um, yeah. So he gains two stat points, which is is and on either side, assistant three three four four is also plus two. He's obviously suffering that he has a really low health or sanity pool, depending on the side you take. And I guess the way I'm wrapping my head around this is if we combine this with his basic stat pool, he's a nine eleven either way. So five plus four and then five plus six. 
So he's either 11 health, 9 sanity, or 9 health, 11 sanity, which is kind of kind of nuts. Yeah. As if healing didn't need another kick in the teeth, Hank also can't be healed. <laughs> yeah, he's just, so, he's just telling you, don't do it, guys. He's the power gamer who's yeah. come in and has said, just run Soak. I am Soak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something we missed about Alessandra is that she actually has uh, 13 total stats rather than 12. Mm, yeah, yeah. She's got the extra stat points. To add her to the list of people. Anyway, yes, uh, sorry, you were saying. What I'd like to see more of, and I hope we see more of, is more ways of moving damage or horror. Because obviously not being able to be healed is pretty nasty. He can move damage or horror off him based on an Elder Sign effect, which is good. And we have seen a card announced in the article, which is wrong place, right time. It's a double, so it it takes two actions to play. And it reads, move up to five damage and or horror from your investigator to assets controlled by investigators at your location. For each asset defeated by this effect, draw one card, remove wrong place, right time from the game. So what I really love about that card is you can have got down your leather coat and your keepsake. Maybe you've got Peter or Jessica as well if you're using the Soak Twins, but you've actually taken quite a lot of damage and horror on Hank. And then, yeah, you play wrong place, right time and clear Hank off. You're not healing him, so you can do that and actually make sure you kill off the Soak. Because obviously part of the issue with Soak is if you've already taken the damage... You can play Soak to protect you for later damage, but you can't do anything about the damage you've already taken. Whereas, yeah, being able to move damage or horror will help in that way. Yeah, and you've, you've got two great options here in either, yeah, you could run the, the Soak the soak Twins and, and mm-hmm. just be like, you can all, I'll take all of your damage and horror and I'll just use this to offload it onto them and then they'll heal it off. Mm. Or you could, yeah. you know, go down the other route and just have this take out your leather coat and your keepsake at the same time and draw you some cards and, and be super efficient mm. that way. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he might even be interested in something like, is it oof, Idol of Xanatos that allows you to discard cards to cancel damage and horror? You might be interested in something like that or oh wow good test for myself here devil's luck uh is that the one with a man yeah devil's head? luck it's the hat on a roadside it's an exile card from from um carcosa fast play when you're dealt damage and or horror cancel up to 10 damage and or horror just dealt to you exile devil's luck so something like that to have that in your back pocket where if you then take a big hit and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm being defeated, you can cancel it. Uh, Perseverance does the same thing as well, but just for four damage and horror. So some of those like cancelling damage and horror might be really useful uh, just as that extra protection. Because my fear here is with four in a damage or horror in your resolute version, you just one unlucky test and suddenly you're looking really terrified. Yeah, yeah, completely. Which is why I think those, you know, I think I think for now at least, just from what we're seeing, like wrong place, right time is probably going to be an auto include. Yeah, we have seen his signatures. Yes, we don't know how many of this signature event he has, but he has a signature event called Stout Hearted. It's a two cost event. It's spirit traded. It says fast play when you engage a non elite enemy. Move up to two damage and or horror from Hank to that enemy as damage. So that's another way of moving damage or horror which is nice. And his weakness is where's par? It's a flaw. Revelation discard cards from the top of the encounter deck until an enemy is discarded. 
Attach wears power to that enemy and spawn it at a connecting location if able. Attached enemy gains elusive and forced at the end of the round, Hank Sampson takes one direct horror. We don't yet know what elusive does. People have hypothesized that it's the anti-hunter and that the enemy would move away from investigators rather than towards them. It's funny because there's so many card games with elusive as a trait in it that you sort of assume we know what it does. And then it's like, oh, that's actually a new word for this game. Yeah. <laughs> and also the name of a card. Completely. The, the, the Netrunner players out here theorizing if that means the enemy has to spend stealth credits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, what do you make of these signatures? So, I mean, stout-hearted is quite something. He's just, you know, walking up there in his in his fantastic dungarees and looking at Zoe and saying, "Ha ha ha, I'm, I can do it better." Um, but yeah, 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 I think that's a fantastic card. Fast heal to deal to. I'd pay two resources for that any day, and it's got fantastic icons if you want it as well. Oh, and I've only just read yeah. that flavor text, but that's a really nice flavor text, actually. Everyone is a hero to someone. Yeah. The little kids in the background that he's presumably protecting. He is kind of hero fantasy vibe, isn't he? In that your role is, I soak for the team, I protect everyone. And that's what you do as Hank. You step up and you become a hero to the someones you're playing with. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, yeah. It's that sort of all-American, you know big heavily built like oh i've never seen him go down like he works in the fields for ages he never complains like you can that that kind of character that gets constructed yeah Yeah, i mean if you get multiple copies of stout hearted which i'm not convinced you will because it seems really powerful but i mean neither (laughs) rain nor snow happens so um if you can get multiple stout hearted (laughs) that's incredible um i think at that point you're really not too worried about getting knocked out at all anymore I think you're right. We probably wouldn't see multiple copies. And what we'd actually see is other ways of moving damage and horror. Because if you got multiple copies, you wouldn't be incentivized to run any other moving. Because you'd just be like, yeah, I'll just use this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think you're, you know, that's what's nice about events like this is that sometimes, or home front, you kind of only need them once per game for them to feel awesome. Yeah, or with Homefront, you practice Make Perfect and just keep chaining it, which is very cheap. Ah, clever, <laughs> clever, clever. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I've done on Think On Your Feet. <laughs> yeah. All my secrets revealed. Yeah, what about Where's Par? Where's Par? First thing, I'm a, I'm a little confused as to what's going on in it. So it's got that sort of uh, searching for Izzy kind of vibe of like something's going to pop mm-hmm. up, it's going to go away from you and you need to go off to find it to the side quest. Is this implying that his mon- the monster that maybe killed his dad, judging from the art, is someone that he's... It's a monster he's chasing down, but it keeps changing or... Not totally sure what's going on with the story here, but from a design perspective, I think an enemy that hypothetically is trying to run away from you is really fun because then... yeah. It's, you know, are you going to go and deal with it? Because the longer you don't deal with it, the further away it's going to get. And direct yeah. horror, direct horror for most characters is, is bad. But for a character that can't yeah. heal and maybe in some cases only has four sanity left, is quite a strict, terrifying clock. You've gone like, don't worry, guys, I've got this. I'm going to my warden resolute side. I'm going to fight heavily. Um, you know, now I've got six combat. Ha 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 ha. And then you've only got four sanity and you draw where's par. You're on an insanely short clock. <laughs> and luckily the enemy spawns next to you. But still, 
that's probably at least a turn to move, engage if if elusive enemies need to be engaged, and then start dealing with it. It's just yeah, really nasty. Theme wise, my understanding is no offense to Hank, I don't think he's meant to be very intelligent, oh. and I think essentially he's rather than being like I think that's the monster that killed my dad, he's still trying to work out where his dad is. Oh. And he's chasing a monster that, like, has maybe quite explicitly killed his dad. And every the longer he leaves it, the more horrified he gets, which, from my understanding, is, like, the more he realises what's happened. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. But I, I could have got that wrong. I'm, I'm happy for people to write in and, and let me know if, I, if I've misunderstood it. But, yeah, this kind of... The art is showing, like, very explicitly the being a big monster there. But he is horrified but not quite sure I mean maybe we'll see his storyline on the back where he doesn't know but yeah I think with one intellect we're meant to understand that he's not very bright yeah maybe with each with each monster maybe dad went missing and each monster he sees yeah. is like oh my goodness what if this thing might get to him or something like that yeah I can see that but I think it's a great I think the thematic element I do really like um, kind of in the same line as with Tate's weakness actually is the idea of the scientist that went too far well, here it's the idea of, you know, he seems like the invincible hero and then suddenly you find something that scares him and suddenly mm-hmm. he's, he's, in a, he's in a panic because he doesn't have long to sort it out. He's sort of brought low by that. Yeah, yeah. And there will be scenarios where you just don't have time to do that. You maybe, you maybe it will be killing you, but you also, for whatever reason, maybe you've just advanced the act and you're fighting against a big enemy. And you then draw where's power and it's like, I can't evade this big enemy, also deal some damage to it, also chase after this enemy. So you get put in that really delicious Arkham position of being forced to make a difficult choice, which is, you know, some of the best Arkham. It's when you're not just destroying everything. I love, I mean, final thought on Hank is I just love the idea that you can choose halfway through. I imagine most people will build their deck with one of the two Resolute versions in mind. But the idea that for instance, you're in a scenario where there aren't that many enemies and you don't need six combat, you can actually then boost your intellect up to three and be doing reasonable things. And with four combat, you're still a decent fighter. Or similarly, like, okay, there's a big boss fight coming up. Six combat's what I need. Or you're in a team where they can always get clues so you don't have any clue tech in. You're you're in the engine, having reached the last of the train, and you just desperately need anything you can to pick up some clues. Yeah, exactly, exactly. If I had two more stat points, I could just try this. So why not? More than any of the other four, I think, I'm really intrigued what Hank's deck building will be. Yes. Because I feel like it will really change up quite a lot. And I'm really not sure what space there is for... I don't think... Have we had a survivor with the three off classes yet? Uh, I don't think so. No, I don't think we have. So it could be. It could be a case for that. Could be. But the, the the combination left is, I think, Guardian... It'll either be Guardian Rogue Mystic or Guardian Seeker Mystic, which... That doesn't scream Hank, does it? <laughs> no, no. The only last thing I think I'll say about Hank that I quite like is a little subtle, but again, in the same way that with Alessandra, sometimes you'll have a moment where the scenario gives you something that lets you shine, is specifically mm. being able to soak for ally assets... Uh, means that in any of the more escort quest-based scenarios or ones where you've got someone who's in danger and if they if they get knocked out, there's consequences, 
well, Edge of the Earth being yeah. an example, the fact that he can soak the uh, direct, uh, he can't maybe soak direct, of course, uh, but but some of those treacheries no. that some of those treacheries that yeah. specifically target allies, being able to soak for that is very cool. That's a really good point. I knew there was a reason to bring you on the cast, Jaya. There you are, <laughs> earning your keep. Yeah. That's okay. Fine. Well, we've gone long here. Uh, I'll throw a question at you you've not prepared for. Which of these five investigators are you most excited to try? Oh, it's a good question. Um, I'm excited for all of them now. I wasn't okay. Okay, it's Alessandra. It's Alessandra. The hat wins, everybody. The hat wins. I just want to smooth talk my way. I want to smooth talk my way through through the mythos and look fine doing it. I think it's Hank for me. Solo Hank. Yeah. (laughs) Solo Hank. So his first ability is blank. Yeah. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) He's quite multiplayer, isn't he? Yeah. He could still protect your. He could still protect your escort allies in a similar way. Yeah, yeah, true. Not quite Carson level blank. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think to be fair, we're deep enough into the game. I'm pretty sure I've gone on record saying this. We're deep enough into the game where if there are a couple of characters that aren't ideal to play solo, that's okay. And I have Maxine on record having said that some investigators are less good at solo anyway, and obviously. Carson is a, a great example of really less good at solo, but that's okay. Yeah. So yeah, listener, if you want to get in touch, if you've got initial thoughts about any of these five, as we said at the start, our plan here wasn't to give you the ins and out hot take of all of the different ways in which these characters are great. It was just to sort of share some of our enthusiasm and excitement about it. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us. We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on X on Facebook. I don't know how long we'll be on X. We're also on Patreon. If you want to become a patron, you can come and chat to us on our wonderful Discord. It's a really good place to talk about all things Arkham and other games as well. Jaya, at this point, if people want to get in touch with you or find out more about what it is you do, pitch away anything you want to pitch. Absolutely. So if you just want to talk to me personally, in most places, I'm just Jaya Baldwin, my name. I think that's why I'm on Twitter. Um, well, that sort of place. On Discord, I'm often Japutu, J-A-P-U-T-U. Um, so, yeah, feel free. I'd love to hear what you what you thought of, uh, of me as a guest on the cast. It's been, it's been great being here. Uh, then, yeah, the company I work for, Naylor Games. If you look at NaylorGames.com, you can see the kind of games I've had a hand in. Um, I'm also working on a heavily Arkham-inspired uh, real-time action-adventure game that you won't find much about yet on the internet, but keep an eye. Uh, and we've also got an active Kickstarter at the moment. If you like maths, we have a blackjack algebra sort of game uh, called 21X. It's got that kind of lovely 1920s golden sort of aesthetics on the cards, uh, and that's on Kickstarter at the moment. Uh, so check that out. That would be awesome. Um, but yes, end of advertisement. Thank you so much. And have a look in the show notes because I'll put a link to that Kickstarter and to Naylor Games as well so that you can just click in the show notes if you want to find it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Bye. Um, hi, my name is Jar Baldwin. I'm very excited to be coming onto the podcast with Frank today. This is a recording that not many humans will hear, but for those that do, uh, the zombies did take over, and this recording is what I decided to do in my final moments. Thank you and good night. <laughs> right.